When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, everybody. Welcome along. It's 9.03 here on SENZ. Mornings with uh, Ian Smith through to midday each day of the week. And busy show we've got for you today. We've got uh, Magic Sporting Moment number 14. Uh, of the Rebel Sport Magic 25. Uh, we've got that uh, right after the break. Uh, it's David Nika. David Nika, of course, yeah, boxing champion. Uh, gold, uh, bronze medalist, of course. Uh, he, he's uh, with us as well. Uh, he's in quarantine at the moment. Justin Marshall uh, will look at the test match uh, from the weekend. Uh, lack of attendance was a, a bit of an issue, wasn't it? Uh, Andrew Mulligan uh, will be on the panel with Pat McKendry. Uh, Louis Herman Watt, Paul Mawati, uh, just before 11 o'clock, and then Andrew Voss. Uh, after 11 with his rap on the NRL. Yep, very, very busy. And a big highlight to start with shortly. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, if you're feeling at all generous this Monday morning, spare a thought for Wallaby captain Michael Hooper, one of the most decorated players of all time for Australia, a champion loose forward, and from all accounts, a very good leader. His work rate is always astonishing. But for nigh on a decade now, he's been coming over the ditch with four different coaches and literally plane loads of teammates with a forlorn hope because in all of those visits to Eden Park, he's never walked away a winner and Saturday night couldn't have been further away. For all his endeavour and Dave Rennie's strategies, Australia man for man just do not possess the cattle. 57-22 to add to a long list just doesn't cut it. There are glimpses of class, but only that. The All Blacks boast match winners, game turners and intercept merchants. They just don't need the gifts they get. Hooper is all class at interview time. Through the wave of disappointment, he is always honest and genuine in his appraisal of performance and praise for the All Blacks. God knows he's had plenty of practice. To win at Eden Park, he and Rennie and whoever have a major task ahead. Significant problems. But they're not the only ones. Thousands upon thousands of empty seats, lost revenue, genuine lack of attendance there on Saturday night. Head office will hope it's not a genuine lack of interest. If it is waning, if the appetite is disappearing, their problems are greater than Rennie's and Hooper's combined. Sport, celebrating 25 years of helping Kiwis find their win. 
It's New Zealand's top 25 sporting moments from the last 25 years. Number 14. Thanks for all your nominations for New Zealand's top 25 sporting moments from the last 25 years. We've compiled the list based on your feedback. And number 14 is Brendan McCullum scoring New Zealand's first and only Test Triple Century. Right then, here we go. <laughs> 6.21 for six and Brendan McCullum is on 2.98. He works it to the gap. He's got it. Magnificent. New Zealand have a superstar, a little cricketing master. And he can now stand tall alongside the game's greats. Well, it was really special. I've got to say, um, I wouldn't say I cried, but I will say I was quite emotional about the, ho- the whole deal for a number of reasons. But uh, Brennan McCullum uh, stays on with us to, to spend uh, a few moments with us, just uh, recollecting that time in his cricketing life. Uh, Baz, morning again. Is it, is it the number one memory you've got in the game? Is it, is it the standout? Yeah, thanks, Matty. I got I don't. I'm not an overly emotional bloke either. But even just sort of hearing, hearing that played played over again, sort of just get those good kind of chills down your spine, and just you you put yourself back in that um, period, I guess, and in, in that moment. And look, I think I was lucky enough to have a couple of really cool moments throughout my career. But in, in terms of what it that moment, what it meant for the New Zealand sporting public, I think Smitty. I think that was why what made it so cool. And and the applause after we managed to reach 300. And you'll remember it vividly. It just went on and on and on. And no one sat down. And and people just, uh, you could see a sense of relief that we got the monkey off the back. And um, you know, I felt a, almost a sense of embarrassment that it happened to be me who did it when you think that you know, the late, great Martin Crow got so close. And, and it seemed fitting that him, as our greatest cricketer, um, held that, held that, um, that score. But... Yeah, it certainly goes down in my, in my mind as one of my fondest, mainly because of the impact it had for other people as well, Smitty. Well, you know, and that was reflected in who came. I mean, you know, the Test match, for all intents and purposes, by the time you'd got to that mark, had become pretty safe from New Zealand's point of view. Um, there was an outside chance there could have been a result, but when that happens, people don't tend to come. I, I recall What I recall about that crowd and what I recall uh, about the type of crowd it was so many businessmen, so many workers had come down, taken that time off work, and lining up outside the gate to pay to, uh, to get in, it was just quite extraordinary. And that, to me, was one of the memories of just how everyone wanted to be there or wanted to be there if they could for that moment. Uh, and you're right, it did, it did sort of um, reflect on, on a milestone that the whole of the country could enjoy. But that, for me, was... That was to me, was one of the most interesting sights. The other thing that I, I recall about, you know, milestones like that, you needed a beginnings. We were in trouble in that test match. That was the thing. I'll just take you back. Uh, when you came to the wicket, uh, having been rolled in the first innings for 192, uh, India 438, um, you came to the wicket, we were still 194 runs behind. Uh, and, and deep in it, to be fair. Uh, and I think, though, when you achieve a milestone, the fact that, uh, you do it when your team needs it the most is also quite rewarding, isn't it? 
Yeah, definitely, mate. And I mean, we'd won the first test match um, in Auckland, and so it was only two test match series because no one would play us for more than two tests at that stage. And and uh, we're playing against the number one test team in the world in India, and we won that first test. So it would mean so much to us to be able to try and uh, to actually tick off a series win. And I guess for my captaincy as well at the time, Smitty, I really needed a kind of line in the sand moment too. I'd sort of threatened but never really put any performances on the board as, as a team for where we could sort of say, you know, what everything which we've been talking about have, was starting to come to fruition. And and I, I got out in the first innings, I got caught a mid-off, which anyone that knows cricket is in a test match is probably not the ideal scenario when you're when you're on less than 10 is to get caught at mid-off trying to play a sort of uppish drive. But that was kind of, I guess, the way that, that sometimes my, my downfalls would lead. But so I really... It was it was so important that we, not that we won the game, or not even that we won the series as such, but we were shown to fight. And I, I constantly talked about and, and throughout my time that I think the New Zealand public can handle New Zealand cricket team losing, but they want to see it play in a manner that they're proud of, which is an extension of the New Zealand people, and that even if we don't win, we fight and we ask more of the opposition than, than what other teams have previously. And so that was kind of our first mindset is we need to fight here. And BJ Watling, well, there's no greater fighter that I've played cricket with, to be honest, than BJ Watling. And and so he was kind of the one who actually got us together and sort of said, Baz, we can do this. And and then I sort of fed off, off of his real um, deep desire to, to not give in. Um, and then it kind of just compounded over a period of time. And and then, you know, we, we gave ourselves a chance and, and, and then we were able to obviously secure it. But it started with, you know, the strength of, of BJ Watlings to say, we're not we're not lying down here. And as leader, I'd said many times, we're not lying down, but sometimes you need your other leaders around you to actually remind you of what you've been telling everyone else too. And, and I, I certainly remember it was BJ Watling firmly who did it. 281 not out uh, the night before. Uh, knowing Brendan McCullum as I do, it probably unlikely just to be at that stage, probably a little bit fatigued, but unlikely um, to not have a, a red wine or a, a beer that night anyway. Uh, so that night and that following morning as you made your way to the ground, what were you feeling? Well, you're spot on, and you certainly know me well enough, Smitty, to know that I had to wet the whistle later on that night as well. And I actually remember, it goes back a fraction too, um, at tea time, um, I came in and I was a shot duck. I really was. I was, I was on about two hundred or or something, and I was cooked. The the fatigue of batting that long and just the the mental drain of it. Um, and the boys said to me, "Mate, just get through. Imagine if you could bat the day out. You bat another day out here." And I was like, "Well, if I bat the day out, then I've, honestly, I expect a couple of cold ones sitting in my seat when I get back in." So then they kind of reminded me as we were going through that final session that the manager, Mike Sandal, had arranged a couple of quiet sherbets and they were just chilling in a nice little ice bucket in front of my seat, in front of the honours board there. So that was enough motivation to get me through till the end of the night alongside um, Jimmy Neesham and then uh, and probably his enthusiasm too because he was on debut. So that, that kind of youthful exuberance that comes with um, younger players kind of dragged me through as well. And then that night... Uh, well, we sat around actually afterwards and we had a couple of beers just to celebrate what we'd been able to achieve already um, in the team and that was a really cool moment and, and they are the moments which I played for. 
Um, but then I got back to my, my room and I was ready to sort of shut things down and then the old man had missed his flight and he needed someone to pay for his beer so he gave me a call and so I went down and had a couple of couple of quiet snifters with him down at the Cambridge Tavern where we were watching I think the Dapto dogs coming in um, and so we kind of just got through that with Stephen Bock as well as the president of New Zealand Cricket at the time. We got through the night and then um, woke up the next morning and I was feeling pretty pretty content I would say Smitty um, been on 280 or something and then I turned on the TV and I did see the late great Martin Crowe talking about the significance of what it would mean if we were able to cross that 300 mark and then I honestly I just started to really get quite nervous and I was never a nervous cricketer but I started to understand the context of it all um, and then so then I turned up at the ground and realized when I looked around that there was just just droves of people coming into the basin reserve and again, the youthful, youthful exuberance of Jimmy Nation, he turned around to me and he said, I can't believe they're all coming here to watch me play my debut. And so I had to, had to have a bit of a laugh. And, and then we went out to bat and, and I was actually, I started poorly and I was really nervous and it wasn't until I nicked one behind, mate, where it fell just short of MS Stoney. And then I kind of just said to myself, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Just go and play. And, and I managed to play a bit freer and, and then get to the 300. But there was a few, few by-plays along the road, yes. And uh, we're talking to Brendan McCullum, folks, by the way. Of course, you'll recognise the voice. But the occasion is we're celebrating and reliving uh, as number 14 in our best 25 minutes, uh, 25 moments of sport in the last 25 years. Uh, reliving that beautiful, uh, wonderful triple hundred at the Basin Reserve. Then you found the gap uh, just behind point, I recall. And, man, that must have been great. Well, it was because it was also a similar gap that Martin Crowe was going for when he was on 299 at that same same ground. And, and you'll know better than me, Smitty, it might even have been the same end, to be honest. And it so was. there was a, a real, yes, yeah, so there you go. So it was. So there was a real symmetry, I guess, in, in that moment for New Zealand sports fans and those who had supported the New Zealand cricket team over the decades which, that, which our, our careers had crossed. So... Yeah, it was just a, a relief. It was probably just on or about off stump as well. And, 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 you know, there's an element of risk with that shot. But, I mean, I've, I've gone back and watched that moment a few times. And, and you know, uh, when you call it and say it gets it through the gap. And then, uh, like, I can remember that exact feeling. Um, and, and every time I hear that commentary, which is why when I heard it right at the start there, um, it just sends, just sends shivers down down my spine and just you do get quite emotional just because in your sporting career you, you hope to be able to make an impact at some stage you have all these lofty dreams when you first come into the into the sport but very rarely do they re realistically play out but to have had a moment to have had a, a day in the sun which left all those who had support this team um, with a moment to, and a memory to take away from it forever is is something I'm immensely proud of and, and just so grateful for the opportunity. Well, Baz, uh, thanks very much for hanging on in there and celebrating with us. Um, <coughs> it's a moment I'll never forget um, because I was there and able to, to talk about it too was just uh, Johnny on the spot, the luck of the draw for me to be able to uh, put my voice to it. So, hey, fantastic. Uh, enjoy uh, the rest of your, your day and uh, continue to reflect yeah. a wee bit. Actually, it's a wonderful thing to have uh, for your kids as well. Uh, that kind of footage and that, that kind of memory as well because when they were little, they didn't quite know what Dad did for a job and uh, when, when they listen to that, they'll know exactly why. Brendan McCullum.
Thank you very much for being number 14 on our best 25 sporting moments in the last 25 years. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Vinny. We have uh, 8833 is our text number. Uh, 0800 is our phone number. Your reactions to that, uh, if you like. Uh, Brendan McCullum's 300, if you remember it. Uh, it wasn't that long ago, to be fair. If you remember it, uh, text us in with uh, some comments about that. Uh, and after that, uh, we'll be talking to David Nika, of course, bronze medal winning boxer from the Olympics, uh, who's heading towards the ranks of professionalism as well. Coming up shortly. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.23 here on SENZ. A couple of texts coming in, uh, more related to uh, the rugby at the weekend, actually. Should have played an afternoon test free for kids as well. Well, uh, it's easy in hindsight to do that, I'm sure. That would have brought a lot of people in. Uh, you know, reduce the price tag or say the word free. Most people turn up to most things. Uh, hi, Smithy and Izzy. How about a mention for Gene Simmington, another Lindisfarne boy making his Magpies... Uh, was it? No, second game for the Magpie, two Shield games. They played against North Otago as, uh, as well, I believe. Did age group reps in Hawke's Bay, then spent a few years in Palmy, played for the Turbos, and now back home, yeah. Uh, that was a name that was very, very new to me. I mean, Hawke's Bay had to go through uh, some real quick changes. In fact, they lost the player about 90 seconds out as well. They uh, benched halfback. Uh, so they played without a reserve halfback, to be fair. Just found someone to fit into the midfield. Uh, and it was all hands to the pump, really. But they played pretty well in the end. Uh, Otago, as I said earlier, perhaps didn't have uh, enough reward for the dominance that they had in the, the first part of the game. The, the territory in the field... Uh, position was, was superior to Hawke's Bay's. In fact, uh, at one stage, I think the graphic said uh, something like five and a half minutes in Hawke's Bay's 22 uh, for one try, and Hawke's Bay had had 27 seconds inside uh, Otago's 22 for two tries. And I think that pretty much sums it up uh, a situation really where you just didn't make the most of your opportunities. Yeah, well, it's a real issue, this, uh, John, this, this test uh, match non-attendance. I mean... That for me was, I turned, it on, turned on the TV, I rushed home to watch it on the, the old telly and a gaping holes in the crowd, particularly at each end, was so revealing that they must be concerning. They really must be concerning and I'm sure they've got a review uh, almost underway now uh, about who was and who wasn't there. Yeah, mate. Um, it's easy to brush it off, I guess, and say, "Hey, you know, it was just um, it was supposed to be somewhere else." So, you know, it was uh, they had COVID, and then they had ten days to plan another test match uh, at Eden Park. Um, people had already paid. Uh, you know, it's, you know, it's no big deal. People aren't falling out of love with the All Blacks. This is just a circumstance that didn't work for the people of Auckland. If we had another test there next year, I'm sure they'd be back. Um, do you believe in that, Smithy? Because Twenty-five thousand isn't a lot of people. Is there? Is it deeper than that? Is it All Blacks fatigue, or is it just the fact that hey, they tried a test match back to back in the same city, and the people weren't keen? Had the test match been against someone else, I think it might have been slightly different. Had to say uh, they played Australia one week or someone, and then they'd gone turn around and played England the next week. I think that's a chance that people with a new opposition and, and perhaps a side that's going to challenge the All Blacks a wee bit more. I thought the first test was a good enough appetite anyway. It was pretty close. Wallabies came back well and at the end of the first test. and uh, A lot of people may have believed that they wouldn't have a chance second time around, and, and they believed right. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, is, it is an issue when this is our national side, our, you know, our side when we play against Australia, our most 
hated foe, if you like, the ones we're most determined to beat every day, and that 22,000 seats are left spare uh, from uh, just the, the week before. Incidentally, I can give you, speaking of uh, match situations, the West Indies now need seven runs to win. Um, they're 161 for nine, uh, and they need now need six runs to win as they each down to third man. So there you go. Uh, look, six run, this would be a very famous victory as well. 162 for nine. They've got Roach on 24, Seals on two, Shaheen is the bowler for Pakistan, and, and I can just uh, tell you Roach was dropped an absolute sitter at deep backward square leg with an attempted hook shot. So really, uh, I do uh, think that the odds are now in the West Indies' favour. One piece of magic from Pakistan will change it, or another six runs, and there's a lot of sweat going on, and there's a lot of panic going on, a lot of gesticulations out in the field, and no one in the crowd. No one in the crowd. So, yeah, that uh, here we go. Here's a, a big text that's come in. Morning, guys. Yes, a great moment for New Zealand cricket. This is uh, about Brendan McCullum. I flew from Christchurch to Wellington that morning, just hoping to witness that special moment, and I wasn't disappointed. The missus thought I was crazy when I woke her during the previous night, telling her I'd booked flights and was heading to Wellington in the morning. I purchased the very first gate sale ticket that day. I still have that ticket, along with a photo of Brendan holding his bat aloft in my sporting memorabilia. A very surreal moment, standing amongst the crowd, that turned out, I'll never forget. Uh, loving having sport back on the airways as well. Hey, thanks for that uh, text. A lot of people felt the same way, actually. I know a lot of people that actually drove, not so many that flew, but uh, a lot that drove from uh, the likes of Hawke's Bay and, and Manawa too, um, perhaps even Taranaki, just for that special moment in New Zealand sporting history. And fortunately for them, it, it uh, did come to pass. Another bouncer uh, from the Western, uh, from Pakistan, Shaheen there. He's looked quite a, a slippery bowler, actually, to be fair. 162 for nine, and still six to win for the West Indies. I think it's at Sabina Park in Jamaica. So, John, that's, uh, that's, that's the review thing. And I guess the next thing they have to look forward to is what the hell the All Black Series or All Black season looks like from here on in. And when do they go and when do they come home. Well they've got a week home with their families and then Sunday they fly out to Perth and I can't see them coming back home Smithy, I think that's it for the season. I mean we've gone from, we're going to have nine test matches at home this year uh, now it looks like we're including that 100th test match against South Africa in Dunedin which would have been one of the greatest sporting moments I think of the last 25 years that test match, uh, but now it's probably going to be in Australia Smithy, so Ah, uh, bugger. I, I feel sorry for the New Zealand rugby. I feel sorry for the players who probably have to go three and a half months away from their, their families. Some of these young guys have got young kids and probably expecting more kids. So uh, I guess they've got some decisions to make this week while they're at home with their families. Do they go away for three and a half months uh, to Perth and then America and then the Northern Hemisphere? So plenty to digest there. Yep, plenty to digest. David Nika with a very, very assured and professional and polished performance. There it is, it's confirmed and that's what it means. That's what it means. Fabulous performance. It's a performance that guarantees a bronze medal at the very least for David Nico. Yeah, another magic moment in the Olympics for the New Zealand team. Did so well overall. This is one of 20 medals uh, which New Zealand were able to celebrate. 
David Nika became New Zealand's first Olympic boxing medalist in 29 years, uh, bringing home a bronze. Uh, David is still in MIQ back in New Zealand, uh, but I'm sure making the stay just that little bit easier. You can wake up every morning and uh, have a look at that bronze medal, which is firmly in his possession. David, uh, thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Hey, David, uh, look, how, how much longer are you in a MIQ? How long before you can get out amongst family and friends? Um, so I'm just over, just over halfway, so, um, yeah, this really feels like the hump is starting to get a little bit tougher. Um, my kid's uh, my, taken a hiding. Um, uh, I'm just, yeah, keen to, keen to start moving now. I've, I've, I've been a bit of a slob for the last week or so, but, yeah, keen to, keen to get moving again. Yeah, because uh, a lot of people don't understand. You know, you you guys that are uh, you know so fit, so healthy, and you know you, you have training regimes and you have uh, sort of times that you, you must do certain exercise. I mean, you just can't, can you? I mean, what do you get a half an hour, thirty minutes, forty minutes a day that you can actually get out and about? Yeah, I think I think we've got about fifty minutes where we can uh, walk around a courtyard, but we're not allowed to run. Um, I think we used to be able to run. Uh, the IQ, but since the Delta variant has started um, creeping around, that uh, they don't encourage any heavy breathing outside. So, yeah, it's pretty rough. But um, I'm actually I'm a I'm a serial chiller. I, I just I, I love I love like kicking back. So this has actually been quite nice. Nice change of pace. That's cool, mate. It's it's good to know you're getting by, and it's not that far away, really, in in the context of things. Hey, mate. First of all. Uh, you got a knock on the door and said, uh, David, come and carry the flag at the opening ceremony alongside Sarah Hirani. Tell us a wee bit about that, walking into, okay, a slightly different stadium because he went, uh, went too many people there, but just tell us about that, honour that feeling. That was, um, yeah, that, that was such a shock. Uh, I knew there weren't many people, um, many uh, Kiwi athletes in the village, just with, um, uh, you know, they, they were trying to limit the, the number of athletes that were, were in the village at any any one time, but um, uh, just the fact that uh, I I had that honour um, given to me um, was it was it was pretty surreal, and I I um I, I I'm still I'm still kind of um you know riding that wave that high that I got from uh, from the experience. So I guess it's that's that's another thing, just feeling. So kind of accepted by by the NZ community. Um, you know, my my family and my friends were already proud. Um, it's just uh, me being at the Olympics, and so uh, the I guess winning the the bronze medal was was just a bonus. Take us back to that first fight. Um, we remember it as a very very comfortable victory, but there was an incident in it which uh, uh, television quite revealed really is pretty average. Uh, when he looked for all intents and purposes as as if your Moroccan opponent had uh, tended to bite you or try to bite you, did, what did you what did you make of that or your realization of that at the time? Yeah, it was um, it wasn't the first time I've been bitten, so I kind of I knew it right away. I was like, oh yeah, that that's a bite. I felt his his mouthpiece rubbing down the side of my face, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> hey man. I um I understand. I was like I was frustrating the hell out of him just by being a um. You know, a better boxer and being outboxed on the on a, a stage like the Olympics is has got to be, um, you know, it's got to be pretty tough. I, I don't hold anything against him. I think it was um, just pure frustration, and I'd hate to fight myself as well. So, um, yeah, no, it was that was 
that was um that was a bit of fun. I kind of got the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Olympics, which is, you know, I feel like I got the 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 complete experience. You certainly did. Uh, you did get the bronze medal. You, you were hoping for a, a little bit more, and uh, clearly you seemed uh, quite disappointed. Uh, uh, not so much in the performance, but the fact you couldn't get over the line against the Muslim Gazima Gomadov, uh, you know, as a, a very experienced fighter who you'd encountered before. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think any um, fight you, you you go in intending to win, um, and I knew I had the goods to beat him, but uh, he was the better man on the day. And um, yeah, it's always a always a tough pill to swallow, uh, especially a sport like boxing. It's it's not like you just uh, lost a race. You you know you got you got beaten up by the other guy more than you beat him up. So um, it, it has felt a little bit strange celebrating a, a bronze medal. I think it's the only bronze medal that I've taken home and um, you know been proud of. So uh, yeah, interesting experience. Um, and yeah, I would have loved to have fought the fought the Cuban in the final. Mm. A great history of boxing, those Cubans. Uh, now, so the dream, the Olympic dream, has uh, has been realised. You got a medal, and uh, now uh, you've decided to turn professional. So, have uh, any details or any arrangements been made about going forward when a likely fight might be? For instance, who, who's even looking after you in that respect? Uh, so, I've got a I've got a manager, Stephen Brown. He's been um, doing a lot of work behind the scenes, just getting me to the Olympics, getting me. Um, uh, you know, getting me the be- the best the best offers on uh, I guess an option. Um, at the moment, I'm trying not to close any doors that I have open at the moment. So, amateur boxing, um, there's the Commonwealth Games just around the corner now. It's next year, mm. um, and the support that I've had from high performance sport has been incredible over the years. So, I don't want to close that door just yet. Um, there's also the the opportunity to fight professional and amateur at the same time. So, um, just uh, it basically, it, we're we're trying to uh, you know accumulate all the uh, potential potential options moving forward, and we haven't uh, committed to anyone just yet. So, um, it, yeah, it's just a matter of time. But um, I'm looking to fight professionally um, before the end of the year. What would your preferred weight division be? So I'd, I'd definitely be a cruiserweight. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just not big enough to fight at heavyweight yet. Um, but yeah, I think think the majority of my career will be uh, at cruiserweight. Um, I'm walking around at about 94 odd kilos now, and the weight limit is 90.88 or 200 pounds. I think. Um, yeah, that's that. I'll be pretty comfortable there. Uh, what do you reckon the the biggest change is is, is going to have to be from amateur pro, to professional boxing for you? And uh, what do you what do you think the biggest challenge will be in that regard? I think the just the the fighting format is a little bit different. You know, uh, you've got smaller gloves. The gloves are designed to protect your hands, not your opponents. Um, there's a, a much higher chance of knocking people out, and um, you know, obviously there's uh, the, the chance of you being hurt yourself. So uh, just being a little bit more cautious, being a little bit more patient um, over the longer longer rounds, or not longer rounds, but more rounds over, uh, you know, up to 12 rounds per fight. Um, so yeah, it'll just be a matter of finding uh, finding the right team to, to get me 
as far as I can in the pro world. In the shorter term, uh, as you say, you're chilling around at the moment in MIQ, but um, there's going to be a moment when the doors are open and David Nika can walk back out into New Zealand with pride. Uh, how are you going to celebrate? Have you got any plans of celebrating your, your performance? Who are you looking most forward to seeing and, and spending some time with? Oh, gosh. Um, everyone. <laughs> I've got I've got a, an awesome support network. I've got my family, my friends, uh, my partner, my dog. Um, my dog actually broken his leg while I was away, so I think he's going to be pretty high maintenance um, while I, uh, <laughs> as soon as I get home. So, um, yeah, that's... I'm just excited to catch up with, um, you know, the, the people that have looked after me. Uh, there's, you know, my manager, my S&C coach, my just the support network around me. Um, yeah, I, I have no actual plans to celebrate yet, but um, I'm sure I'm sure they've got some ideas. I'm sure they have, David, and uh, you'll have a lot of fun doing it. I'm sure. Hey, thanks very much for your time this morning, uh, and. Uh, I won't say enjoy the rest of MIQ. Chill as well as you can, and uh, good luck in your future endeavours. We will be following your career here on SENZ with the utmost of interest, mate, as you go from amateur, maybe to the Commonwealth Games, uh, but certainly uh, into the ranks of professionalism, where a lot of people think you can go all the way. We wish you all the best, mate. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Have a good one. Yeah, have a good one indeed, uh, uh, and you do. Uh, look, it's uh, 9.43 here. Um, perhaps you, you'll have a text about David Neeker as well as still coming in about um, uh, the Wallabies and the All Blacks um, and also about Brendan McCullum as well. 88.33, we'll read those out uh, after the break. Um, also 0800 You could be caller of the month and you can still win uh, an All Blacks experience thanks to Ballpark Entertainment here on SENZ. Past Smithy, this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.48 here on SENZ. A couple of texts have come in. Morning Smithy, great win by the All Blacks. There's two types of rugby referees, mate. A ref who wants to be number one on the paddock and referees to the letter of the law and buggers the footy game. Uh, and number two, the ref who wants to be 31st player on the field and allows players to play footy, which we saw the ref on Saturday night do with great advantage and communication. So there's a tick for Brendan Pickerel, uh, who was a very big occasion under a lot of pressure for him. Seems uh, as if uh, he's pretty popular with his performance. Uh, came through well and may have even just risen a little bit in the rugby refereeing ranks within New Zealand. That was from Jeff the Ref. Uh, thanks very much. I asked you to uh, come back with uh, something on Monday morning, Jeff, and you did. Real uh, appreciative of that. Morning, guys. Uh, what do you think about Australia rugby? Australian rugby dropping the Gitto law and anyone becoming eligible. Uh, is this the way rugby's going and the All Blacks may follow some time? They're saying over there it's a way to try and keep people sticking around, but won't that just encourage an exodus to chase the money? Well, if you can get the best of both worlds, uh, Sean, uh, I think you're probably right, but I think the key to this is, is coming up with a, the strongest possible international team that you can on the big occasions. And how much do they rate the big occasions? Uh, certainly the World Cup is one. Do they rate the Bledisloe Cup as highly as we do? Uh, you ask the All Blacks and they'll say it's without doubt the second most important trophy that they play for. And because they play for it every year, they get that feeling every year as opposed to the World Cup every four years. The Gitto Lord John, and that is the one that says you can play, uh, you can play or come straight back into the Wallabies after having completed 60 test matches or you've played seven super rugby seasons. That's the way I read it. Uh, I don't see that being an issue in this country at the moment because our debt, quite clearly, is way, way stronger.
Exactly. It's not until you start losing as much as Australia have. 19 Bledisloe's in a row. You've got to get your best players, don't you? Um, the Springboks, they do it. It's worked pretty well for them. They choose everyone, and they're world champions, and they've just beaten the Lions. So, uh, But it, it works for us the way it is now. Smithy, I want to see the best players playing in New Zealand, or most of the time. Um, poor old Chiefs, you know, every year without Sam Kane injured, then Brody goes overseas now. DMAC going overseas, so occasionally one will slip through the net, Smithy, but they do come back to play for the All Blacks, so we don't lose them completely. I think the system we've got now, letting them go to Japan and miss Super Rugby, is probably the best one we've got at the moment to keep our players in that black jersey. Yeah, I agree with that totally. Um, as long as the lure of that black jersey is there, and of course if you are an All Black, your price tag goes up when you look to go overseas. It's as, it is as simple as, as that in terms of uh, your income, you're seen as more valuable because you've reached the highest level in New Zealand rugby, which uh, a lot of people still overseas regard as the yardstick there. Uh, interesting news from Lords. Uh, They're going into the fifth day tonight. Of course, you're hearing the commentary here on SENZ Ball by Ball commentary, which is great. Uh, the Indian cricket is just holding on at the moment after the fourth day. Uh, India were 181 for six at stumps. They were a lead of 154 when bad light stopped play with Rishabh Punt. Their last recognised batsman, Dangerous as well, on 14, and Ishant Sharma on 4. So they haven't got a lot left in the tank in terms of uh, batting ability, but what they have got at the crease is a guy who could score 50 or 60 very quickly, Rishabh Punt, with a little bit of help at the other end, and then give them a lead of uh, in excess of, say, 220, 230, and chasing that uh, in probably two sessions. Uh, India sh- uh, England shouldn't lose, but will they win? Remember that uh, time uh, when they played against New Zealand earlier this year? and they chose not to attack and have a crack at a, a target on the afternoon, maybe they won't rue that, uh, particularly at Lords as well, if they have to do that to India. Yeah, uh, Chinka Rahani, 61, and Pajara, 45. And if you're waiting to hear the result of uh, the West Indies, they won. They won by one wicket. And uh, that was uh, a heck of a run chase in the end. Kima Roach, who was put down just behind square, a relatively simple high catch. Um, and uh, he went on to w- hit the winning runs through the covers, uh, with support at the other end. So, yeah, that's the cricketing information uh, for this morning. Win to the West Indies, and the other one, England's slight favourites, but very much in the balance. Take a short break when we come back. It's multi-celebration time. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. you got to know when the whole Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. 5.47 was the return uh, at the weekend. If you climbed onto the back of the multi, Tasman to beat Auckland, a buck 68. Some thought that was a surprise. No, not for me. I thought Tasman uh, at home were always a big chance there. The Rabbitohs beat the Titans at $1.17 and the Eagles beat the Eels, smashed the Eels at $1.21. The real swing of the value bet, of course, was Waikato to beat Wellington at halftime. Uh, it was no price. The multi was absolutely no price. Uh, and then, of course, the second half performance from wherever you like, from the end of the world, really, uh, Waikato turned it around and beat Wellington in the dying moments. One of the great comebacks. $5.47. So if you're on there, good luck. Uh, today, the multi, you have to get on relatively soon because the baseball game starts not that there's not live betting in it. $1.55, the Dodgers with shirts are on the mound to beat the New York Mets. Uh, that's $1.55. Portland Timber, this is Major League Soccer. Portland Timber to beat the Seattle Sounders at $2.55. Uh, 
uh, tennis is the third leg. It's the ATP Cincinnati on Gail Monfils, the Frenchman, to beat Lajovic at a buck sixty-four. That return would be a nice, handsome six dollars forty-eight. Pretty good way to start your week. Uh, we've got a, a text in or a lot of nonsense. Of course, the Bledisloe Cup is the second most important. There's only two we play for, and it's pretty much impossible not to win it. Nineteen years tells us that. Well, uh, thanks very much for your text, but you're wrong. Uh, we course we play for the Hillary Shield against England. I would imagine that's quite nicely um, regarded as a, a decent trophy to hold on to, particularly against England. Uh, we had the Rugby Championship. Uh, do we play for the Freedom Cup as well? So it's not just the only two we play for. But thanks for your text anyway. Uh, you can bet your bottom dollar. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. some breaking news, John, and concerning news, I understand, coming through. Yeah, it's terrible news, Smithy. Um, this is coming from Fox Sports and Channel 7 in Australia. Wallabies legend Tutai Kefu is clinging to life after being stabbed in his Brisbane home while trying to defend his family during a reported break-in. The former back rower was at home when three people broke into his family home at 3am on Monday morning. According to Channel 7, Kefu was stabbed in the stomach after a brawl erupted and was rushed to Princess Alexandra Hospital in a serious condition with abdominal wounds. Kefu's wife, son and daughter were injured during the frenzy, also taken to hospital. His wife suffered a significant arm injury, while his son suffered lacerations to his back and abdominals, and his daughter a hand injury. Neighbours were reportedly woken and raced to the scene to help, holding down one of the alleged offenders who was arrested at the scene. The other two men remain on the run. Of course, Totai Kifu playing 60 tests for the Wallabies, including winning the World Cup in 1999. So thoughts going out to the Kifu family, absolutely. That is uh, absolutely dreadful news. Absolutely the worst possible news you can hear. Uh, goodness me, our thoughts do go with them. Uh, and I, I would imagine uh, my guest uh, joining us now uh, from Queenstown, I'm assuming. Uh, he's managed to get home after the weekend. Uh, Justin Marshall, first of all, Justin, I, I'm not sure if you picked up on that, but uh, if you did, that is terrible news for uh, Toto Kefu and his family. Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Um, I absolutely did hear that news, and um, yeah, it makes you, geez, it's surreal when you hear something like that, isn't it? And uh, I caught up with Kef just recently. Obviously, he's coaching uh, Tonga, and saw him in the tunnel. And it's one of those ones, you know, when you see somebody. And I was on the move, as you know, with TV. We were. I was on the move to get our rehearsal done, and he was standing outside the changing room, and. I hadn't seen him for a while, uh, and it's when you hear news like that, I regret because I was really quite short with him because I, I, I had to keep moving. So I sort of said, hey, mate, how's it going? How are you enjoying coaching? Good to see you guys taking on the All Blacks. And then the conversation and that could have gone further, but it didn't because I had to go away. And that's those moments where you think, oh, shit, I, I, I didn't take the time, and I wish I had when you hear awful situations like what's developed with him since then. So, look, I, I hope that you know, it's awful when his family's involved in well as well. So I hope uh, everything is okay. He pull, pulls through it and, and his family does and everything um, for them is much brighter than the news that we've just heard. Yeah, and I'm sure everyone in uh, the rugby game with the New Zealand echoes those sentiments as well. Our thoughts uh, go out to the whole family. Uh, really, really bad yeah. news. Uh, okay, let's uh, look, uh, Justin... 
back on something a little bit more uh, favourable in terms of uh, performance, uh, in terms of the All Blacks in particular, 57-22. Uh, really, uh, two things to talk about. First of all, uh, not very often uh, we commentate an All Black game in this country uh, where half the seats are empty. That's point, two, uh, point one. Uh, the other one, of course, uh, was that a true margin for you? Was that a, a deserved 35-point margin? Look, yes. I think the hard topic we'll have to discuss first, Smithy, which the rest of the country are all very well aware of. And I'm, I'm sure there are cities around New Zealand um, and not big cities that could have hosted an All Blacks test match, which would say, well, I'll tell you what, if you'd given it to us, we would have filled the stadium um, twice. And, and that's disappointing that Auckland couldn't do that. Uh, yes, I know it's back-to-back, but at the end of the day, this is our premier product in New Zealand, this is the All Blacks, and, and most likely probably the only time that we're going to see the All Blacks again on our soil, in, in difficult times for the world. You know, the world does not get uh, their national teams playing in front, uh, having the ability to play in front of full houses, and the fact that we could only get Eden Park half full is a big worry for the All Blacks, Good worry, big worry for New Zealand rugby, and importantly, you know, a city with nearly 2 million people in it, that we couldn't get 40,000 people along to a game. So I'm, I'm, I'm really sort of don't know how to feel about that. Um, and I think the New Zealand Rugby Union, when they make decisions to move test matches, have to think about the ramifications of that when they can't fill a stadium for a national side. Um, and, and that's also a bit of a blow for Australia as well, you know. Like, this is a Blairslow Cup, a cup that the All Blacks, continually bang the drum of it's the second most important trophy to them in their cabinet after the World Cup. And for the, 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 for the, the game that means everything, to, to put that cup back in the cabinet, we, we can only half fill the stadium. So that's my thoughts on that. Um, in, in terms of the game, that, that probably compounds the problem because it was a quality game of rugby. And if you didn't want to be sitting in a seat watching that game of rugby, where else did you want to be? Uh, it was... Physical, um, Australia bought intensity. They bought, I guess, a physicality that I didn't think that they would have against them, particularly an all-black pack that was hardened and, and was a big pack. Uh, they challenged at the breakdown. Um, when they got opportunities in that game to unleash their sort of um, outside backs and Callaway, um, Corabetti and Banks in particular, uh, they showed skill set. They had the ability to offload in the tackle. And yet, like you said, we put them bed by 35 points. Uh, don't think that the score reflected how good Australia were, but I think it reflected how good and clinical uh, the All Blacks were on the night. They were obvious. They really were. So where is Australia's problem? If you if they bring the physicality that's needed at that level, uh, you know, is it their game plan or is it their mentality? I mean, intercept passes are, are you know they happen, but was that three in two weeks to give the All Blacks tries? Yeah, they gifted them to the game, and, and that doesn't help, particularly when you're impl- when you're applying pressure yourself. So that, that compounds that. Like what, what what I tend to do, Smithy, at the end of each game after after commentary is um, take a screenshot of the stats, and I've, and I did that at the weekend, and I'm looking at them now on my screen on my phone, and you go down the go down the stats sheet. Um, Look they, look, they won territory um, 62% to 38 to the All Blacks. They won possession 55 to 45. Time in opposition 22. They had eight 
minutes inside New Zealand's 22, as, as opposed to the All Blacks who only had three minutes 30. Um, visits into the 22, they had 13 to only eight by the All Blacks. So when you go down the stats and look at everything, the All Blacks had to make 105 tackles. Australia only had to make 84. Um, so really, you, you think, well, where, where in that game are you not as effective as the All Blacks? And that's just being clinical, really, because everything that I've just told you shows that they had enough ball, enough territory, enough time inside the opposition's 22 to accumulate points, and they didn't. And that's where they've let themselves down. Now, whether that comes down to a lack of uh, experience with young halves, um, you know, but McDermott had an outstanding game, and Wallace Eo, I thought, probably was a lot better than he's ever been against the All Blacks. Uh, I'm not quite sure. So when Dave Rennie sort of breaks that, that down, he's like, well, what are we doing with that ball, and how are we using it? Are we doing it effectively? You'd probably have to say they aren't, and there's enough statistics there to show that they're competing in the game. Like the, the biggest thing in rugby is when you sit down and you look at the stats, and you go, oh, my God, we were just not in the game. They were a better side. Well, when he looks at those stats, he'll go, not only were we in the game, we, we were effectively doing things better than the All Blacks. Um, you know, when you've got five more minutes inside the opposition 22 and you're 30, what did you say, 33 points away from the All Blacks on the scoreboard, something's going drastically wrong. Yep, indeed. Uh, indeed it is, and they've got some real issues to sort through, uh, Dave Rennie and co. Um, perhaps we haven't anymore. We might have answered a couple of questions. Uh, Akira Iwani, Dalton Papali'i, uh, did you see them uh, standing out to the, the extent that uh, Sam Kane aside, uh, they're pretty cemented in the look? I'm having, a, I'm having a smile, mate, because I know you and I have been driving to the game a couple of times, having conversations about our thoughts on the selections, and uh, Akira Iwani has been one of those ones, so... And, and you know what I've said about um, about him and being selected. So, you know, I'm, you know me, mate, I'm, I'm sort of straight-up guy, black and white, that I was unsure about whether he warranted his place. Um, and leading into this test match, I probably would say the same thing, driving to, driving to the game. And I thought that he finally started to show uh, a way that we can really utilise him. And it's the best game I think I've seen him play in, in the all-black jersey. Uh, he, he played in good channels. And, and areas that he can be dangerous and I think the only reason that he can do that is if he's complimented by the guys around him in the loose forwards I think Papali'i tightened up a bit I thought he'd got a bit loose and was playing a little bit too wide for an open side, like an open side needs to be around that breakdown zone, uh, being niggly being um, the person that tries to slow down the ball or and carry in that zone, and then his role from there, if we've got the ball, is to then be a link player more than a, a carrier, and I thought Papali'i adjusted to that. I thought Artie played more in the zone where he's dangerous, which is, again, tighter, which enabled Akira to play wider. So, yes, I think we got that balance right. Um, obviously, the big talking point leading into test matches is whether Rico could play centre well, and we didn't have... Uh, players playing laterally, which we, we did the week before and compounding the problem because he's, with his speed, is a, is a player that'll take the outside break. Could he play a bit more direct? I thought he was good. He probably only got caught out once in defence where he was a bit tight. Um, and and Will Jordan coming into the mix, I think, uh, added a little bit more of a direct 
nature into that back line with, a, with McKenzie being a lateral player. So I think, yeah, we got it right. I don't think Fozzie, you know, he didn't make um, changes. He, he stuck with what he's got. He brought Will Jordan in. But apart from that, uh, he stayed true to the, the week before and asked those guys to be accountable. And they fronted up and they were very good. They learned from the week before. Uh, they played tighter. They played direct. They combated the physicality that Australia brought. And um, they, I think they deserved their victory because they pounced on absolutely everything that they could. Everything that they created, they pounced on. Everything Australia gave them in terms of intercepts, etc., they pounced on them as well. In your mind then, in the mind of Justin Marshall, does that cement, does that cement Ian Foster and his coaching staff now going forward? It's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, I certainly think it shows that they can get, when the, when they put their game plan, their strategy uh, into, into place, they can get the best out of this team. And I still think this team's got another cog that they can go to, which is good from a perspective that they've just put Australia away by over 30 points. Um, I, I'll be honest, mate. I, I sat down and had a chat with Fozzie on Friday um, at, at the Heritage and, and, and just sort of said, you know, how, how are you feeling and what direction do you think this team is going in? And he was actually in a good mind, to be fair. And for somebody that had been under a lot of pressure for two weeks, I was quite refreshed by that. You know, I thought I would see a guy that had his shoulders sort of humped over and, and as head down, but he certainly wasn't portraying that by any means. He was positive. Um, he said, we, we didn't play well last week, particularly for 25 minutes. We played well in the second half. He said, I've recognised what we need to do to make some adjustments, and I've done that both individually with players and had a chat to them, and I've done it um, as a group. And I feel that you'll get a you'll get a reaction, and we got we got a reaction, didn't we? So this was on the Friday and Saturday. You know, they, they certainly were a different side. Uh, but look, I, I certainly think that he's got a really good mindset in where he wants to take this team. And I think at this stage, yes, he is the man to take the All Blacks forward. And I think what he needs now, what any coach needs, uh, put yourself in his position. If you're him, what you want is faith. You want belief. And at the moment, the public and the New Zealand Rugby Union haven't given him that. And, and that, that, that makes you feel anxious. I think what he needs is to be given the responsibility. And when you're given that responsibility, I think that'll help the cause. So I certainly think that at this stage, he's showing all the signs that he can take this team to a Rugby World Cup and win it. And he certainly has the players to do that. So what we have to start doing as a nation and, 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 and as a union is believing in that. So, I mean, you, you pretty much follow the All Blacks everywhere they go, uh, Justin. What do you think the next six, seven, eight weeks uh, holds for the All Blacks and where? Yeah, it's a, again, it's a, like you said, at the start when we started um, thinking about the crowd at Eden Park, you know, it's unique that we can do what we can do. So the fact that we can't get 40,000 people to come along when the rest of the world can't get anybody at a stadium, you only have to look at what... South Africa and the Lions had to face, you know, three test matches in an empty stadium with, with nobody supporting um, the history of the Lions in a, in a historical test match. Um, you know, All Blacks are facing unprecedented times. They've got an amazing, I don't know, three months ahead of them. Like, incredible. The fact that they can play a game in, in Washington, D.C., for God's sakes, like, that's wicked. Like, I would have loved to 
have had that on my radar as a player. Um, the ability to get, get tight and go away on a trip to Australia, facing a, a very good side where last time we were there, we lost to Australia in Perth in an amazing stadium. Um, but the permutations of it are all unknown, and that's what's hard to get your head around. So I, I think that that generates also um, a level of excitement because you're never so sure of what's ahead of you. You know, it's a great end-of-year tour with um, Italy, Wales, um, Ireland, and France. Man, how good will France be in Paris? So mm. what I'm trying to say in a nutshell is what's coming up is really exciting for the All Blacks as a group. What's difficult is what they're going to have to face to try and get there, which is the unknown of how long they're going to be away from their family, their friends, um, you know, their children, whatever it might be. Uh, we, we all very well know that there's babies to be born as well in, in periods through there where back in the day with before COVID, you could get on a plane and get back, see the birth of your baby, um, enjoy the experience, get back on a plane and go back to the tour. You can't do that anymore with isolation, quarantine problems. So, while there's massive amount of excitement, there's also trepidation because you just don't know what you're going to face. I think probably what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way, Smithy, is you know this is this is what you do, and you don't do it for long, and you know that you've been to the top in your sport. Um, I'm, I'm lucky that I've been there as well. The time that you get there is very limited, and you've just got to embrace it. Whatever's put in front of you, all you want to do, man, is just put that jersey on, run out, and play for your country, and wherever that might be. And whatever challenges it possesses, the ultimate is to, to be that person. Because very quickly, all of a sudden, you're you're a Karen Reid or a Richie McCaw where you've played 130, 40 tests and it's gone. You can't ever get that back. So face the difficulty, get out there and do it. Because what we've got in the next three months for the All Blacks and, and for us as a country is uh, really exciting. So they've just got to look forward to it and deal with whatever's put in front of them as the best they can. Justin Marshall, uh, thanks very much for your time this morning and those thoughts about uh, the game, uh, the Wallabies, the All Blacks and uh, <coughs> what I've got ahead and I think those sentiments I echo as well. Uh, you don't want to regret, uh, you don't want to regret missing out. It's a, it's a horrible feeling at times. Uh, so yeah, I mean a lot of things to take into account but it does appear at the moment that uh, the All Blacks and the Sky commentators, uh, whoever they may be, will be uh, on the road for quite some time going forward, beginning in Perth in just a little while. Uh, 10.21 here on SENZ when we return. It's panel time. And today we have Andrew Mulligan and Pat McKendry. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Joined this morning by... Pat McKendry, shortly by Andrew Mulligan as well. Pat, of course, is a New Zealand Herald columnist. Uh, Andrew Mulligan uh, of uh, all sorts of fame, really. Radio, TV and uh, other things. And apparently at the moment, may well even uh, be stuck on a chairlift somewhere, uh, having a family holiday. So hopefully Mull can join us very shortly. Uh, Pat, in the meantime, uh, I guess the biggest issue of the day, and it, it uh, revolves around what, or who didn't turn up on Saturday night. What, what's your take on... Uh, half a crowd at Eden Park for a Bledisloe Cup match. Yeah, uh, not a great look, was it, for anyone, uh, to be honest, Smithy. Um, I, I guess, you know, New Zealand rugby has to take uh, its fair share of responsibility and and think, 
whether ticket price is too high. Um, you know, clearly it's a case of supply and demand. And Aucklanders are, are fairly astute judges of rugby. They they decided it wasn't good value for money uh, after the um, the All Blacks won the first test against the Wallabies. Though I think they were always going to lift for that second test and clinch the series. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think there was probably an element of complacency. Um, you know, two two uh, tests at Eden Park and in the space of um, a week, I uh, probably wasn't the right way to go, was it? You'd have to think that they would have sold Waikato Stadium out, uh, just a short bus ride down State Highway 1. But I guess probably a similar sort of a capacity, about 26,000 down there, but a full stadium, you know, rocking down in, uh, in the Waikato. It would, have, it would have been a much better look all round. Andrew Mulligan joins us this morning. I hope you're safe and well, Mull, wherever you are skiing at this time of the year. Uh, uh, to be honest, mate, um, it would have been uh, disconcerting, I think. Uh, they, they hoped for a walk-up crowd, which never really eventuated. Uh, so they'll have uh, some pretty serious meetings, won't they, in the headquarters about this? Oh, absolutely, Smitty. Uh, I, I really think it's um, one of the times where I think the, the rugby public has just fallen out of love with um, the All Blacks opposition more than it is the All Blacks in general. Uh, and just, I think history, histrionics has really come back to bite the New Zealand rugby when it comes to selling out Eden Park because they know there's several generations now, Smithy, where they haven't seen the All Blacks lose to Australia, Eden Park. And we haven't lost a game there, uh, you know, since 1994. I just think it's unfortunate that they went, they had to go back to back after they beat the Aussies. I thought Andrew Callaman, the, the winger, saying that they'd lost their aura was, um, should have been a great motivating factor to see all black fans want to experience a, ba- a blacklash against the Aussies because that's what I was expecting. That's what we got. Um, they were obviously unhappy with their second half performance from the first test and they just needed that little bit of extra motivation from that. And then those words were like a gift. Like something Bill Williams saying on the Stan Sport coverage in Australia, like that's the kind of stuff they pin up on the wall, which is great to hear. I love that stuff. I don't think enough was made of it, to be honest, in the week leading up. I would have would have been all over that stuff if I was uh, if I was a rugby journo. Mal, does that does that mean in a, in a little way that I mean, always people love winners. I mean, we love winners, but does that mean in some sort of way that the the Bredisloe Cup is heading towards being a bit of a dead duck? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think there's too many tests uh, for the Bredisloe Cup. I can't keep up. I didn't realise, you know, uh, how many tests we have against Australia. And then in the last few years, there's been four tests. There's been, you know, several years ago, there were two tests, and then, then they made it three, which is always a good idea. And it just sort of felt like the Blitters like Cup, we just, I think some people, I don't, but I reckon some people take it for granted. Kids just don't know what it was like to lose the Blitters like Cup, and then they don't know what it was like to win the Blitters like Cup. Retaining it is just always fait accompli for, for some rugby fans. And I just don't know what the answer is. Um, it does take a loss a really jolted jar and I think last year when the All Blacks lost to Argentina for that first time that was a real smack in the face for fans and I, I, I actually quite like seeing it when New Zealand rugby fans and we do get arrogant, we are an extremely arrogant sports fan when it comes to our All Blacks, uh, just get strapped around a bit and uh, I don't know it, it's, it's probably unfortunately what the rugby public needs and no one wants to take a, a loss anytime to anybody, let alone the Australians but to lose two Bledisloe Cup tests in a row, or two out of three to lose the Cup, I can't see that happening. Aussie rugby is going the way of Argentina rugby, 
when they lose all their good players to overseas to, to the Northern Hemisphere clubs. They've been their player base has just been eroded. Pat, the, the All Blacks will always say the Bledisloe Cup is number two in line for them. It's absolutely a must in their cabinet. Yeah. Uh, why isn't it for us then anymore? Oh, I think I think uh, Andrew touched on it. I think um, we're just so used to seeing the All Blacks beat Australia, uh, especially at home. I think it's a bit different in Australia. It's more even over there, especially in Brisbane. And uh, obviously, like the All Blacks got sort of touched up a bit in Perth last time they played. Uh, Australia there. Um, it's just it just seems too difficult for Australia at the moment to to win two out of three tests against the All Blacks, especially when when those tests are played in in New Zealand. Um, and you, you could you could say, oh, let's let's even it up a bit and have two in Australia. But I mean, that's that's going to sort of shortchange the All Blacks uh, and probably in particular more uh, New Zealand rugby in terms of the financials. So. Look, I don't really know what what the uh, what the answer is either. To be honest, um, having said that, I think I think there were some quite good signs from the Wallabies um, on Saturday night. I thought, you know, they 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 stayed in the fight for for long periods, and it was quite tight there at twenty one fifteen with Adi Sevier in the sin bin. Um, it sort of, you know, it could have been a bit a bit tight for the All Blacks, but certainly they they just went up another gear and and just ran away with it. Um, you have to say it was a it was a pretty impressive uh, overall performance by the All Blacks. Okay, uh, we're going to take a short news break, uh, fellas. If you can stay with us, that'll be fantastic. Andrew Mulligan, uh, of course, and Pat McKendry. I, I think I'm going to ask you: uh, Is uh, Ian Foster now safe in his job uh, when we come back? Here's Trudy with the news. Big talk, big opinions. The panel. Ten thirty-five here on SENZ and carrying on uh, with the panel this morning with uh, Andrew Mulligan uh, and Pat McKendry. Pat, uh, just uh, Ian Foster's role now. Uh, it seems there's always pressure on him to perform, to win all the time, and for the All Blacks to get better. On the evidence of two uh, 0 uh, straight away, does that make him safe for you? <laughs> well, a lot a lot safer than if he had uh, lost two or even one. Um, you know, we touched on it. The All Blacks haven't lost at Eden Park since 1994, and they haven't lost to Australians since 1986 there in, at Eden Park. So, I mean, a, lo- a loss for Foster would have been an absolute nightmare scenario. Um, so he's, uh, you know, you could you could see he was delighted, you know, throughout the match. Looking on the replay uh, on the Sky's broadcast, he was absolutely delighted with how with how things were going. So I'm sure there was quite a bit of relief in there. Um, in terms of is he safe? Uh, look, I, I think that the board aren't yet convinced because they the, the All Blacks haven't played South Africa. I think that's the big one. Um, I think I think there was uh, an element of truth in, in reports that have been out recently about uh, the board wanting to see how the All Blacks go against a very big physical pack. Obviously, they struggled in 2019 at the World Cup against England, where they were sort of just dominated from the first whistle. So. Uh, I think that's probably the, the, the main one, but it's, it, it can't be good for, um, for Foster, the uncertainty and, and, and the senior players as well, sort of wondering what's going on. So a, a difficult uh, situation for, for Ian Foster, and he, he has my sympathy, especially after New Zealand Rugby made a big show of announcing Scott Robertson's uh, contract extension recently. Mm. Certainly there uh, seems to be a bit of underlying pressure coming from there. That, that was an interesting announcement. And uh, the, the sort of... Uh, the way they paraded it around Mull. Uh, if we look at um, that uh, win then, uh, that must come, according to uh, Pat and others as well, against South Africa, it's not any easier now because it seems for all intents and purposes that will be on neutral ground. 
Yeah, and that is, like Pat said, the, the yardstick All Blacks are now tested against. Like, being in Australia, I mean, that's just doing your job, isn't it? Uh, so, I mean, Ian Foster, like Pat said, he looked, he looked stoked in the, uh, in the box. But to be honest, that's what I, I expected as an All Blacks fan. That's what you expected, Smitty. That's what Pat expected. Like, they have to go and beat South Africa. And what kind of team South Africa will be now? They've had a couple of test matches um, under their belt when it's come to beating the Lions, which in itself was really impressive, um, given that they hadn't played anything last year, really, of any consequence. So I've, South Africa will be there for the taking. It's the quality and the type of win. And whether or not the All Blacks will play the way Ian Foster has sold it to the board and the way his vision has, has been uh, set out. Like, that's what you do in a job interview. You tell them how you're going to do the job. And the All Blacks did the basics right, and they got on top of the Wallabies, and they pulled away, and they did what fans expected. Now it's going to be, can we beat South Africa in a way where we were dominated in the World Cup by big packs like England? Will that happen? I mean, Argentina got stuck into them last year. Have they done enough to turn around what is a decent Wallabies pack, but it certainly... There's no Lou Diaga and Eben Etzebeth in that middle row stepping up to Broderick Talek and Sam Whitelock. So um, I don't think Ian Foster's job is necessarily safe just because he beat the Wallabies at Eden Park and put 57 on them. I don't think that's a guarantee for him. OK, then, uh, tell me, is Richie Moonga, Mull, and you know, I know you're a Bowden Barrett fan, is Richie Moonga guaranteed the 10 jersey then? Get him in, put, it, put him in the sea, get him out of it. I'm not, I, I'm not he's too small. I'm not convinced. I don't like it. Um, look, he read an intercept pass, and he's got some nice feet, but they have to hide him on defence. And Bowden Barrett is a much better tackler than he was. I am a Bowden Barrett fan at 10 all day long. They haven't given him enough time uh, in that jersey to give him the, uh, the, the I guess, the, the ability to say, look, I am your number 10. Rich Mawanga is a fantastic rugby player. He's a, he's a superb super rugby player. But, my goodness, you put Bowden Barrett or anyone for that matter in that Crusaders team, you're going to absolutely hum. Um, and I just, I am Bowden Barrett through and through. I mean, I like Richie Mwanga. It's nothing against him. But I just don't think, I can't see Richie Mwanga taking us to a World Cup final and winning it. OK, Pat. So if, if um, Ian yeah. Foster's still on not shaky ground, but uh, firming, firming ground, we'll say that. Uh, how about uh, Richie Mwanga in 10? How about Akira Yuwani? Did he, did he cement a place? Well, we'll start with Richie, and I think 100% he should be in number 10 because he's the best uh, first five in New Zealand, if not the world. Um, so, yeah, look, uh, he's the incumbent. You know, will he stay in the number 10 jersey for the rest of the season? Not necessarily. I, I wouldn't be surprised um, if Bowden starts in Perth in a couple of weeks' time uh, because he does need game time. Uh but look, I, I think um, Richie Moanga has just been outstanding. He's continuing to develop. I think his defence is pretty good, despite what Mel says there. Uh, and that's improving as well. And um, I think he, yeah, he's got the inside running. As for Akira, man, what, what an impressive performance from him. And I think he's sort of got um, one, if not two, hands on that number, number six jersey now. He, I thought he was pretty impressive in that first test, and he just took it to another level. Uh, recently in, in the second test, um, you know, he was direct and powerful and he just so quick in the outside channels, which is where I suspect the All Blacks want to play and use him. So, um, yeah, that's ideal for him and, and, and good on him for, for, for sticking with it. OK, so there we go.
uh, a, a debate there, uh, a worthy debate there between Andrew Mulligan and Pat McKendry. Uh, Bowden Barrett, yes for Mull. Uh, Pat McKendry, Moonga, all day long. Thanks very much, gentlemen, for being on the panel with us this morning. Uh, we'll have another one at the same time tomorrow morning, 10.41 here on SENZ. Uh, some texts, maybe a call or two when we return. Uh, and then, of course, before the news at 11, Louis Herman Watt and Paul Mawati uh, from New Zealand Thoroughbred and also the TAB. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 10.46, plenty of texts coming in. As soon as you have an opinion on the, uh, or want for an opinion on the All Blacks or uh, referees, etc., um, <laughs> I won't say it jams, but it does get very busy. Smithy, I would suggest Fosty is far from safe. Aussies aren't that great. They struggled to beat a second-string French team. They made the All Blacks look good by trying to play reasonably expansive themselves and made too many errors. Uh, huge challenges ahead, and if Fozzie can overcome them, he's good to go. Need to wait till the end of the season. That, that's uh, from Gizzy, Bombay, County's man. So, yep, okay, I think it's a fair enough point. Uh, it would have sold out if it was on Sunday Arvo. Night matches are ruining rugby. It's just always wet and dull. If this attendance doesn't show that, what does? Rules, referees, and reset scrums. Too many penalties, pricing, and nighttime tests. The game was played in the afternoon. Myself, my wife, and daughter would have been there. Uh, another one on Richie McCaw, uh, not Richie McCaw, Richie Mawanga. I'm not sure Richie is good enough to, to be a game general. He is awesome in broken play. All Blacks uh, back to lethal form, capitalising on mistakes, but need to be better in building up to tries through structure. Five of our tries from behind our own half counter-attack. Can't rely on that versus South Africa or England. Good point. Uh, Ian Foster also hasn't created our best lineup. He stumbled upon it through injury. He has played favourites with Kane and others as, as a fan. I wish he'd just pick on form and talent. So Tutu is still the best potential number eight we have. How did he not play last year? Uh, Allback's uh, quite good playing that Canterbury style of absorbing pressure, then scoring off errors. But the Aussies were awful, played like naive schoolboys. They gave us five tries. So uh, some people genuinely uh, concerned there still that uh, we have to wait and see on the Ian Foster issue. And, when you consider, John, that it's such an important job, such a high-profile job, man, does it, uh, does it uh, attract opinion? Uh, and how long, how long for you uh, does it still sit in the balance? Well, I said that he needed a statement game, and that was pretty close to one, I think, uh, at the weekend. That was a hell of a performance from the All Blacks, and I think good for his coaching staff as well. A lot of guys, I think, kind of unproven and... That coaching staff, um, with Brad Moore especially, it looked like that back line was humming. And I did, like Justin Marshall pointed out, having a Kiriwani in those wider channels, um, man, he had some gas. And that try that Brody Retallick ended up scoring, Smithy, that's one of the best tries I've seen the All Blacks score in recent seasons. So they're playing attractive rugby. Um, sure, it's only against the Wallabies, but you have to do what's put in front of you. And I thought that was, you know, a 9 out of 10 performance from the All Blacks on Saturday night, and you've got to give Ian Foster some credit. If you rip him out for the week before, saying Foster's not good enough for the week before, well, you've got to give him credit for what happened on Saturday night. And I think his stocks have gone from maybe a 5 or a 6 out of 10 being reappointed mm. to maybe a 7 out of 10 now after that game. Yeah, well, it's, it's a really interesting point of view. There's two camps, isn't there? It's clearly it's either, it's either Foster uh, or it's Razor Robertson. 
there don't appear to, any, to be any likely candidates at this point in time that, that I can see. So it's one or t'other. Sometimes it becomes very much a, a Canterbury versus the rest of the world thing. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but sure, uh, it, it is obviously uh, a talking point and uh, we'll have to wait and see until those neutral games, uh, particularly against uh, South Africa, they should have not too many problems against Argentina and Australia, you wouldn't think, uh, both on neutral territory. Uh, Australia backing up, uh, they'll have a point to prove in Perth in two weeks' time if it comes to pass. And then, of course, that Northern Tour. So I, I think they're probably going to wait for another two to three months. A very, very busy and extended time away, three months for the All Blacks and their coaching staff. But uh, to be fair, uh, it may have to be the case. Louis Herman Watt next, uh, and then Paul Mowadi from the TAB. Voice of Sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Love Racing Update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Coming up to uh, the 11 o'clock news here on SENZ and uh, loveracing.nz. That's the website to go to. And the man to go to with uh, all the racing knowledge, the insights uh, on all over the weekend in particular, Louis Herman Watt, Tale of Two Horses for me, Tally Ho, Twinkle Toe, and on the other side of the Tasman, Elephant. Wasn't it brilliant, Smithy? We've kind of, this is, this feels like spring when you get a New Zealand Raider into Australian waters and, oh, just just loomed up really and dropped them. It wasn't, it really was a race set up for him to win. Um I thought that the bookies kind of really priced him not too generously at all at about that 350 quote, but it's a, I was hoping a bit of meat on the bone somewhere closer to that $7 just because it's so hard to match the Australian-New Zealand form up at the moment, probably more than it ever has been. But just one well, kind of not many had been winning like that, really, well, a length and a half, and just a really promising horse from a good stable, a good people, and... I think Elephant's really got a lot of growing to do on this trip. It's his first trip away from home as well. So a lot of these horses, these progressive types, really come on where they go away as well. They really become themselves. That's what you hear lots of great trainers talk about. You know, it's the making of a horse. Well, I think hitting the post first, and for whatever reason, it doesn't know how to lose. Five from five. It's exciting. And then Tallyo, Twinkle Toe Smithy. I mean, we just spoke about him almost every day last week. What a marvel. How do you, like carrying the 70 kgs, what an absolute marvel on a bottomless record in uh, steeplechase day. I just I don't know about you, but I was so blown away with, with that horse. Yeah, it was it was a magnificent performance, and it, it always looked as if, and you can't say this too often about uh, steeplechase races, but it always looked like it had the race in its keeping, the way it just eased into it and just took over and dominated. So, um, yeah, uh, as you say, uh, they were the, perhaps the two, two highlights. What about uh, trials this week, Louis? Have we got some coming up, or have there been some that you've you've been at? I, I haven't been there. I haven't shot down to Hamilton, although Baz tells me he's going to watch Rabada trial today at Tarapa. But here we go, a horse close to your family's heart on the bubbles. It's won a trial this morning, nice and early, apparently quite in, in very impressive fashion as well. Haven't got the footage for of it yet, but it's beaten I Wish I Win and... Bonnie Lass and Novia too. So a pretty decent trial field there on the bubbles has won and also just gone round has been Bowden and Catalyst. So I'll be looking forward to getting some footage. We spoke to Pikey in the weekend and he is very much weather dependent on what he does with Catalyst. So it'll be interesting to see how he trialled up on the heavy Tarapa track today. Well, it's spring weather in Hawke's Bay, Louis. 
It's not far away, boy. It's not far away. So uh, we'll be looking for a really good track and some brilliant horses uh, to kick off the Spring Carnival. Some more texts uh, from you in the meantime. Mark Mornings for the Moanga has to be the starting 10. He said it had the most consistent time playing for 10 for the last three to four years. Barrett has really suffered from the dual playmaker role with limited time in each role. Still a high-quality player, but may have slipped down the ranks compared to his World Player of the Year time. Just my thoughts. Aaron, uh, also this is uh, from uh, Reed and Gore. This is not the weakest Wallaby side we have ever played. My point last week that week one Bledisloe match was our first warm-up match against a decent side to iron out the creases. To turn into a record score is a huge reflection of outstanding coaching. I take my hat off to the coaching staff for this and also the players for adapting to this and putting it together on the field. Good reflection there, Reid. Thank you. Uh, Argentina beat us in Aussie last year. Maybe harder to beat the beat than the Aussies. They have a very good forward pack. Uh, Aussies only rated number seven. Uh, so it was a great win. And let's wait and see Brian from Christchurch. Uh, from Paddy and Lulu, and it pretty much sums up the defence. Uh, the All, Bay, All Blacks were in fine form. Aussies were like Swiss cheese, a lot of holes and lack of firepower. Uh, bring and uh, bring on uh, South Africa, and I think everyone now uh, is waiting for South Africa and the All Blacks. But they're a very good point, actually. Um, Argentina, uh, they're always the sleepers, aren't they? They're always capable of just turning in a, a really good performance when you least expect it, and uh, they don't play too badly uh, against the All Blacks from time to time. Speaking of not playing badly, Lydia Coase finished second uh, in the tie there at the Scottish Open in Fife. This is a week out from the Women's British Open, which will be played at Carnoustie. Coe made a slow start to the tournament, improved over the four days, and finished three shots behind the winner, Ryan O'Toole of the United States. So uh, Lydia Cohen in good form there. Uh, she had a 63 overnight, which is uh, simply outstanding. Um, also, New Zealand's Mitch Evans has finished fourth in the Formula E World Championship after a start line crash ruined his chances of claiming the title. Uh, the Kiwi driver started the final race of the season in Berlin with an outside shot of a first major FIA championship, but a struggling Jaguar, uh, Jaguar was hit from behind seconds after the green flag, and uh, he finished eighth. So the result left De Vries on 99 points. Uh, he's the Dutch driver. Seven clear of Ventura, Swiss driver Eduardo Mortara, who retired at the start when he smashed in the back of Evans' barely moving Jaguar. So there, compounding all sorts of things uh, from that point of view. Matt, Duff, Matt Duffy, 31 today. Birthdays uh, for today, John. Matt Duffy, 31. I'm filling here, just waiting for Vossi to answer his phone. Uh, Angie Petty is 30 uh, years of age, two New Zealand middle-distance runner. And uh, Beverly Weigel, I hope I've got that right. If it's not Weigel, it's Weigel, is 81 years old today. Um, she was a brilliant runner for us back in the 1956 type era, Summer Olympics, 58 British and Empire Commonwealth Games, and the 1960 Empire um, Summer Olympics as well. And don't forget, we're going through the 25 best sporting moments of the last 25 years. We had number 14 this morning with Brendan McCullum, uh, and then... Uh, this afternoon, Mark Stafford will have two. He'll have number 13 and number 12, and that's uh, thanks to Rebel Sport celebrating 25 years of Rebel Sport. John, no luck. No luck with Vossi. No, nah, it's a damn shame because, man, the NRL has been bloody good. I can't like The favourites never win all weekend, so it must be great for a punter like you, Smithy, who loves backing a favourite, and all eight games were won by the favourites, including the Warriors, who have got rid of Roger Tuivasa-Shek, the best player in the comp, and they win three in a row. 
after they get rid of RTS. First time they've won three in a row, I think, for three seasons, straight after they get rid of their best player. So Warriors fans, there's three games to go. Surely the faith is still there that you can reach the top eight, and I think they're quite beatable teams who the Warriors have games left against. Uh, Broncos this week, who they'll start as favourites. Broncos are... I thought got a little bit unlucky against the Roosters at the weekend. Um, then I think they've got the Raiders and the Titans. So if the Warriors, Smithy, want to make the top eight, it's all there for them. Well, it is. Uh, I'm just looking at the results over the weekend. The surprise, was there a surprise result? Not really. Uh, the Seagulls, man, are they playing some good rugby league? 56-10 over the hapless Eels, who still sit, believe it or not, in fourth position. Uh, and their form has really dropped off as of late. Uh, the, the Knights 16, the Sharks 14, that was an interesting one because they're on the borderline of uh, the top eight. Uh, so that was uh, heads up there to the Knights just getting home. Uh, the Rabbits uh, continue to dominate 36-6 over the Titans. Uh, the Roosters just over the Broncos. I don't think the Broncos are an easy beat. They're, they're not an easy beat at all, uh, the Broncos. Uh, just going down to the Roosters 21-20. Great news is uh, we've managed to allocate uh, Andrew Voss and uh, so we can get stuck into the teeth of uh, the NRL. Uh, morning to you, Voss. Busy time, of course, for you uh, over there. Um, listen, mate, uh, what were the surprises for you uh, over, over the last round, if there were any? Well, g'day, Timmy. G'day, everyone. Sorry, just a fraction late there. Having come off air doing the uh, breakfast show this morning, being uh, a lot of news. Um, uh, look, just in case the listeners are not aware of it, I'm, I'm not sure, Smithy, whether you've covered it. Uh, Tatai uh, Kefu over here, you know, great Wallaby Queensland Reds legend. Um, tragic story, terrible story, fighting for his life this morning. Um, multiple stab wounds, we're told, um, intruders at his house and defending his family. So it's one we've been covering this morning. On the um, on the rugby league front, look, surprise as well. Look, should Paramount's demise be a surprise? Probably not based on the last two, but it just got ran home just how far they've slid. Um, beaten by 56 points to 10, 10 tries to 2. I mean, going into the weekend, they're in the top four. You look at the betting agencies today, they're $67 to win the competition. I, I don't know whether I can recall such a dramatic slide. I mean, they've just absolutely fallen apart to the point where if the competition had started three weeks ago, you'd say, well, they're your favourites with a wooden spoon. I mean, that's how bad they're going. From premiership contender and genuine premiership contender to to absolutely hopeless, uh, I, I can't fathom it, Smithy. I, I really can't. I mean, you know, one theory is you know some sides handle um, the the upheaval, you know, switching states and you know teams that travel on a more regular basis like Melbourne handle it better. Parramatta just haven't handled it, perhaps, and and just the wheels are falling off their season. Um, I will put the Warriors as surprise. You know, this is. Great resilience being shown, three in a row, good on them, and, and now just two points out of the eight. Uh, and, and as far as shock factor anywhere else, well, no, the Rabbitohs attack is very good. They can win the comp, Manly can win the comp, um, and the Storm perhaps not going as well as the 18 straight suggest um, out of the weekend. They've, they've dropped a little bit in form, there's no doubt about that, since their best this season. Well, they still sit atop the table with 38 points. The Panthers, the Rabbitohs with 36. The Eels are still in it, regardless of the form slide. They're still very much in the, the meat of the table, 28, 28 uh, for the Roosters and 26 for the Seagulls. I think there's, there's your top six, I think, because there's six points back now to the Titans, the Raiders, and the Knights uh, at this point, Vossi. So can we put a line under the Seagulls and say the top six is established? Yeah, absolutely. Top six is established. There's no question of that. Um, Parramatta might be late. Look, they, they play the Cowboys. You'd think 
not so surely they beat the Cowboys, but that might be the only game um, they win. They've got to play Melbourne and uh, Melbourne and Penrith yet in the final two rounds of the season. So that, that's your top six. I've got Newcastle finishing seventh. Their draw's okay. Um, and I've got Newcastle finishing seventh. But I tell you what, the real curveball is, and if your listeners can get their head around this, and they're not going to like it if they're a Warriors fan. Yeah, if the Warriors win the next couple of weeks, Cronulla's going to be in the same boat, you know, fitting for that eighth position. Cronulla is, joined, is drawn to play Melbourne in the last round. And if Melbourne have the minor premiership wrapped up, they will rest players. They did it last year. They went with, you know, you know almost their reserve grade side come the last round against the Dragons in loss. So they will put resting players ahead of the finals, um, ahead of everything, and that will have, you know, Cronulla will be the beneficiaries of that because they, they are likely to play a second-string Melbourne side in the last round, which Warrior fans and others, Canberra, will say, oh, hang on a second, that's, that's not fair go. We're, you know, we had to play at full strength earlier this year and we're desperate to win and Cronulla might be gifted in, in you know, a roundabout way two points. So that, that's why I see it falling. I've got night seven. And I reckon if things play out this way, Sharks might claim eighth position uh, ahead of the rest. It'll be on four and against probably anyway. But I think the Sharks might uh, might get there. Vossi, just going back to the point about playing, um, you know, players who are resting as such, is that sort of a, a bit more restricted now with COVID? The toing and froing of, of players and getting them uh, to a, a place to play now? Or, or would they go to that measure under COVID? Well, they're doing pretty well under injuries. There are some clubs that couldn't rest players. I mean, you know, um, uh, the Roosters aren't in a position to rest all the players. You saw Canterbury yesterday had to have two lone players. So there are clubs certainly in that position. You wouldn't be able to rest players and then, you know, have lone players for one week. I'm sure they wouldn't allow that. I mean, I don't know whether there's any black and white rules written down, but I don't think you know, clubs would cry blue murder if Melbourne rested fit players. Um, players can get lone players simply because they are in crisis at the moment and they just don't have the truth so um, yeah that, that's the way that's existing at the moment but there's a lot of players sitting around not playing anything because there is no second tier but in the case of Melbourne unless something disastrous happened on the injury front the next couple of weeks I think they will be in a position to rest players and the fact is Craig Bellamy has shown that he will do that and did it last year and the side they fielded in the last round took on the Dragons who were out of finals contention and the Dragons beat them so there'll still be stars in the side. You know, I'd never write off a Melbourne side, but I'm telling you, you could have as many as, you know, six, seven players out if they have enough available backup uh, in, in, that, okay. in that match. You know, you won't see, like, a hard pairing of Cameron Munster and Jerome Hughes. It'll be Cooper Johns and, you know, someone else playing in the half. And, and, you know, Justin Olam might be rested. Um, you know, Ryan Pappenhausen might be rested, even though he hasn't a lot of footy. Jesse Bromwich gets rested, and they bring in other front rowers. So... I'm saying they might be in that lux- you know, luxury position of being able to rest talent. Their priority is the premiership. They don't care about anyone else, and I totally get that. Their priority, Craig Bellamy's, will be to have his team in the best possible shape for the final series. Look, uh, you commentated uh, the Warriors yesterday. You had the honour, uh, and we had the honour of listening to you too, by the way. 24-10 uh, uh, over the Bulldogs. Not an unpredictable result. Did you see the Warriors form... Uh, continuing to improve, or are they just not being tested at the moment by the right people? Yeah, oh, well, no, no, that's, a, that's a fair question to ask. Because um, I would say, if I sit in isolation, I thought the Warriors' goal line defence was really good yesterday, but then I think, mm, put that in the equation, they're playing Canterbury. You know, Canterbury averaged two tries a game, have done for a number of years now. Their attack is so limited 
Um, but, um, but, but, but still, you, you can only play what's in front of you. I, I will say this. Um, I thought the Warriors are never really in doubt the result. We're comfortable all the way through. The intercept try in the first half came but totally against the run of play. The other try was on the final seconds of the first half. Um, I still thought they left a fair bit of football out there. Um, the, the, the Warriors, a ruthless Warriors yesterday, would have posted 40 points against the Bulldogs. So, um, you know, there's improvement to be done, but the fact is they are getting momentum. They're getting more confident. Three wins in a row. Um, Reese Walsh fullback. Now Chanel Harris-DeVita is fit. Uh, you know, I'm seeing some, some good things there. I like the fact that O'Sullivan ran up to the line, you know, poked his head up to the line before passing. You say it's probably the best game I've seen him play uh, in the number seven. They've decided Cody Nikarima now coming off the bench. You know, it's dummy half. So um, this is the side the Warriors will take in the next three weeks, and I give them a chance in all three games that, that, they, uh, that they still have to play. Destiny is in their hands as far as winning goes, but they can't. They can win all three and still miss the finals, of course. Uh, you know, depending on what the other teams do. But but I'll be prepared to say, if the Warriors won their last three, they're going to be playing in the finals. I just don't think the sides around them are good enough. So if the Warriors were able to win three in a row, which would mean they've won six in a row, they would make the playoffs, and that'd be one hell of a story. Well, it would do, wouldn't it? Uh, uh, six in a row without RTS. Uh, there are some. Uh, there are some key uh, matchups this weekend that the way I read it anyway, uh, the Storm, uh, as you say, the, they would need to try and start to find a little bit of momentum in their victories. Uh, they're against the Titans, who are just outside, just outside the eight. And then, of course, you've got the Seagulls just outside as well. Uh, uh, no, firmly inside, playing great against the Raiders just outside, Ricky Stewart's Raiders. They're important games, and they're first up. Well, the big news out of Manly is this Tom Trebojevic injury. Now, I don't... Look, I'm not saying you're going to deliberately lie, but the smart thing if if you had a serious facial fracture, which they're talking about with Tom Trebojevic, you, you wouldn't want your opponents to know because you're going to risk and probably roll the dice with him. I can remember years ago, Jason Taylor, north of the arm. He was known by all and sundry. He's got this problem. Uh, facial fracture, Canterbury went after him like, because they knew of the injury. And, you know, they pushed the envelope as hard as they could. They smashed him. And every tackle they finished off, and yeah, they probably broke the rules, but they, they knew by taking him out of the game they were killing off the chances of their opponent, the playmaker. So Tom Trebojevic, I don't think we're going to know the exact extent of the injury. What we do know is he's had the fracture before. He still actually has a plate in his face, and we're being told medically this saved him from, this is more than likely saved him from a more serious injury. So he might just have hairline fracture rather than full-blown fracture. But I, as I said, it'll, it'll remain a mystery as to how bad... The injury actually is. I would think that in the case of Tom Trevojevic, it's at least a couple of weeks out. But can Manly win without him? Uh, well, maybe they can. But they're not the same side, obviously, without him. Question from uh, Gary, who's just texted in. Can you ask, Fossey, what's up with the shoulder charge rule uh, pertaining to yesterday's game, obviously? Seems every game there are no arm tackles that aren't called. Have they changed the rules? Yeah, um, and of course, bringing the context for Nathan Cleary one. I'll start at the Cleary one. I was happy. He was using his shoulder, but it wasn't a shoulder charge. Like he just braced for impact. He turned his good shoulder away, uh, sorry, his bad shoulder away from Jack Bird to brace for impact. So if he had to make contact with him, of course it's a charge. But I was happy that no uh, judicial charge against Nathan Cleary for that one. Because if that was an example of a shoulder charge, that when we brought the rule a years ago, we'd still have the shoulder charge because there'd be nothing seen as dangerous with that tackle. But yesterday, where it became confusing, Sione Katoa, it was an incident when, when he hit Edward Cogg, it was enough 
to take the try off the Bulldogs because of foul play after he dropped the ball, and, and they've said, okay, so you hit him in the head. But no, she didn't. I, I can't defend that. I can't defend that at all. It was a careless bordering on reckless tackle, and maybe he'll be cited today, but it's still a concern that in the run of play, I mean, imagine that's a tight game. Now, a, play, a team loses a player for 10 minutes. It, it could decide the match. Yesterday didn't have a great bearing on it, but Sione Katoa, no doubt, should have been Kingbin yesterday. I thought we'd reach that point, and I don't know how they defend that position. It just absolutely perplexed me yesterday. Uh, Katoa's gone the big shot, and, and, and as both, well, he hasn't got away with it. They got denied a try and had a penalty, but he should have been in the bin. Should have been in the bin. Andrew Voss with us, uh, of course, from Sydney. Thanks very much, Vossie, for your time this morning. And, uh, yep, his uh, thoughts echo those of yours, uh, Gary, as well. Uh, the fact that uh, that went basically unpunished uh, by uh, that player yesterday against, uh, certainly on a Warriors player, uh, and that, <coughs> that victory over the Bulldogs. So, yep, uh, not, uh, not unsurprising, really, that, that the Warriors got up. But uh, I think they'll be tested this week. Uh, they really will, because the Broncos... Uh, the Broncos are really dangerous. Uh, they're the spoilers for me. As much as the Warriors are, the Broncos, I think, are the biggest spoilers. And, of course, they're pretty close to playing at home all the time. And I think that that will be a very big determining match for the Warriors' late charge uh, towards the top eight. Your texts uh, on the Warriors would be cool. Uh, and phone calls as well. And uh, we're not far away from uh, one of our favourite parts of the morning. But not yet. After the news, we'll be having a, a crack at Stumping Smithy. Um, but before that, it's your text and calls on a number of issues. 11.26 as we charge our way to midday. It's a beautiful day in the Hawke's Bay. And Brian is on the line from Hastings enjoying the weather. Brian, All Blacks coaching on your mind? Yeah, I, uh, once again, Smithy, we, we've done this before um, with Hanson and perhaps even when Henry lost the World Cup before he reinvented himself. But we, we continually bagged them. You know, here's the guy got lost lost by he he won the game by four or five or six or whatever it was the first game, and then and then everyone wants his head, and and then he changes it or they the team turn it around and he's part of the team he's part of what's going on they turn it around and won by thirty points and it's still not good enough, honestly I just I just don't understand like. I know people are engaged in it, and but I don't understand why they continually go after the bloke. Like, you don't have to like him, you know, and he might not be the most agreeable person in the world, or you know, in, in his um, in his the way he comes across. But some of some of the the press seem to take delight in um, in, in the cheap shot, and it, it really gets you know it annoys me. I think is what it does. I just just leave the bloke alone. And let him get on with the job. He'll live and die on his results. Um, and and we just have to sit back and enjoy the ride. You know, at the end of the day, all I want them to do is win. I just want them to win every game. I don't care whether it's one point or thirty points. Just win. So Brian, just, you know, leave my intimating here that has he done enough then, Brian, for you um, to get the gig through to the next World Cup? Or would you say so? Or are you still waiting to see anything against South Africa or maybe Argentina or Australia away? Well, he, he's been appointed for whatever it was that he was appointed. Two years, wasn't it? Wasn't that was his initial thing? That's, that's correct, yep, that's correct. And so, and so is that up or not? That's, that's been up and he's been reappointed, hasn't he? 
Well, I haven't heard that he's been reappointed to the World Cup. If it is, it's uh, news to us here on SENZ. My understanding oh, is... Oh, well, yeah, not, not, I, I, I don't know. I, like, I, I don't know. But, but if he has, then good luck to, to the blokes. And if he hasn't, then they'll get rid of him. But, but at the time, whatever the time is, he's the coach. Just let him get on and get his job done. Brian, thanks very much for your call. Brian from Hastings there, uh, very much uh, defending uh, Ian Foster and saying just, uh, we, we do tend to, I think, uh, feel as if most people tend as if they've got a share in the All Blacks. Uh, that is our national team. Uh, they, they, they've got a share in it. They, they, they feel as if they're entitled to have a say for, uh, in it. And oh, that's cool. Uh, but it didn't reflect that in the people who were turning up at the weekend, I think it's fair to say. So, uh, you know, you, you, there was the opportunity, I suppose, to go two weeks in a row, and there was the opportunity to take the game somewhere else. Those questions will be uh, being answered as we speak, I imagine, at head office in, in Wellington. Uh, we have got uh, a couple of uh, messages just come in. Uh, Smithy, I enjoyed listening to what is li- what it was live yesterday, the Warriors. I hope they make the last eight. I really do. This is <coughs> Jason from Australia coming in with us there. Uh, hi, Smithy. The refereeing in the NRL is abysmal. Uh, Warriors had a man blatantly tackled off the wall yesterday while in the process of a potential try-scoring play and no one batted an eyelid. If it had happened to the Melbourne Storm, uh, the referees would have been jumping out of the trees to award the penalty. Warriors will never succeed until it changes. And uh, on the subject of referees, a heads-up too for Brendan Hickerall. Obviously his performance uh, pleased many because no one's talking about it this morning. Absolutely, Brendan, you've silenced the critics. So obviously you're a 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 performance and people enjoyed what they saw. Hmm, interesting. Okay, um, news time shortly and then uh, Stump Smithy, get on the phone. Stump Smithy if you can, 0800 150 811. A golden opportunity to win 50 bucks from the TAB. The all-new SNZ. It's Kiwi for sport. It's 11.30, making SNZ News this hour. Wallabies legend and Tongan rugby coach Tutai Kefu is undergoing emergency surgery at the moment after being stabbed in the stomach during a vicious home invasion. It happened around three this morning in Brisbane. Taliban fighters have entered Afghanistan's capital, Kabul, after President Ashraf Ghani fled the country. The militants are on the brink of taking control, with the Taliban now in the presidential palace. The 7.2 earthquake in Haiti has left at least 1,200 dead, with more than 2,800 homes destroyed and thousands missing. And a 27-year-old who offered a policeman $200 to let him off drink driving has been convicted of has been convicted of perverting the course of justice and will now be deported back to India. He was twice the legal limit when he was pulled over by police. Got there in the end. SENZ Radio.NZ Sport coming up. It really is top class at his job. Certainly is. Exciting times this morning in the world of sport. Um, a lot going on and a lot of people calling in for Stump by Smithy. We would give $50 away from the TAB, a voucher, and on line one, John from Auckland. G'day, John. Oh, good morning, gents. Uh, how are you feeling? Feeling lucky on a Monday? 
I hope so. Yeah, well, luck won't get you very far in this game. It's all about skill and knowledge. And we've got three sports. You choose one, then get three questions right, and you will win $50 from the TAB. But get one wrong, Smithy gets an opportunity to stump you and send you away with nothing. So your sports today are soccer, or I should say football. I'll make people angry again like I did on day one. Football, rugby union, and summer Olympics. What are you going to go for? Um... Summer Olympics. Summer Olympics, like it. The dream is not over. You're still basking in that glow of 20 medals? Uh, yeah, still got to draw something, nothing to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get started. Question number one about the Summer Olympics. The first modern Olympics were held in what year? Uh, 1896. Absolutely nailed it. 1896, right on the button. Um, assuming you weren't alive to watch those ones? Not quite, no. No, no, very different to what's going on today, those Olympics, I'm sure. All right, question number two. What colours are the Olympic rings? Um, red. A black. Uh, blue, green, yellow. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Were you visualising them then? Was it just the power of visualisation? Uh, yeah, trying to, because yeah. uh, I think it's related to five continents. Something, yeah? It is by continent, you're exactly right, Smithy. Very quiet, not even getting a look in. I'm just, um, I'm so impressed with John's knowledge here, I'm, I'm not even... Honestly, I'm not backing myself as having a go here. Yeah. I'm not. John's in great form. Could be a clean sweep for John. All right, mate, this one. A bit more tricky than the first two. What five events make up the modern pentathlon? Um. It's a strange event, the modern pentathlon. Is that the athletic thing? It's the one where they do five events and it's kind of based on a story. Um, so they're five quite different events. Okay, uh, long jump, uh, discus, javelin, javelin uh, how many is that, three? Yeah, and they're not correct, so I'm just going to let Richie yeah. uh, tell you. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Incorrect. Uh, the modern pentathlon, Smithy. What five events make up the modern pentathlon? One of the weirder events at the Olympics. Yeah, it is. And um, I will say I'm, I'm not 100% sure on this, uh, John, but I believe there's shooting involved. Uh, I think pistol shooting is involved. Uh, I think there's some cross-country running involved as well, uh, it's, you know, to, for the pistol shooting. Uh, show, I think there's horses in there. Show jumping. Um, I think there is, from memory, some. Is there fencing? Is it is fencing one of the is fencing one of the sports? I, I think fencing might be. It's, it's so, you're right. It's so way out, but I can recall thinking, how could they combine all these diverse activities into one event? But the last one's got me. I uh, can't recall the last one. Can so I'll have guess? a crack. I'll have a crack. Um, oh, so because it's so. Diverse. 
Um, I'm, it's an individual sport quite clearly. Uh, look, I, I, I'll, I'll go diving. There you go, diving. That's crazy, I know, but diving. Oh, it just eludes me. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. More texts coming in, particularly on the uh, coaching saga. Uh, hi, Ian. Can you really see the NZR sacking Fozzie before the World Cup? We would have to have another year like 1998 to warrant that. I agree with your last caller, and we, ne- and we do need to get behind the current coaching group. I do feel the media in general tend to be provocative. It's a talking point. Yes, it is, Brian. You're right. Uh, and it's reporting and fueling the coaching debate to make a story then it's not really there. Oh, we'll see if it's, it's not really there, but it seems to be uh, a worthy enough talking point that uh, us villains in the media will continue to make something of it until a final decision is made. Uh, also, a uh, nice job with the multi. Cheers. Keep up the good work. Great listening, Dave. Uh, says Robbie. Um, uh, look, yeah, on, this, uh, on that note, I can tell you uh, in today's one, uh, the Dodgers lead 3-0 over the Mets, uh, only into the second innings there. So that's good news as we look to get the, the Dodgers, uh, then Portland Timber to beat the Seattle Sounders, and Gail Monfils to win his tennis match today. In Cincinnati, speaking of winning and losing, John, uh, the NPC unfolded some interesting results over the weekend. So how did we stack up? Absolutely. In our uh, quest for the Christmas ham, whoever tips better than the other man between me and Smithy, uh, have to buy the other person a Christmas ham, so very uh, you know puts an extra edge on it. I love the Tasman Markle anyway, and you love your Hawks Bay Magpies, but having a ham on it, it you know makes it huge. Um, game one, Counties Monaco are struggling, aren't they? Big time. I mean, it wasn't long ago that Counties had the shield. They were up in Division One. They were making the semis quite regularly, but now they're an absolute shadow of themselves. And playing at that potato patch in Pukekohe doesn't help. It's just so wet and turgid. Uh, you can't get your running game going. So they were beaten by North Harbour, 14 points to six. So just two penalties for Counties Monaco on Friday night. Smithy, you back Counties. You must have been livid. Mm. Well, yeah, I wasn't impressed with the, the overall standard, to be fair. I no. don't think it was an absolute <laughs> thriller, was it? Uh, look, so I was disappointed there, and I was disappointed to kick the weekend of tipping off on a, on a poor note, and, which was pretty much a non-event. So yes, there is concern. And it looked, it also looked awful, didn't it? There's no one there. That big bank in the, in the, you know, in the back of the camera shot there. Uh, so no, that uh, is that a reflection too that you know people aren't sort of going to NPC matches too, Bunnings NPC matches. Is it? Are we just sort of uh, clutching at straws, blaming a, a second Bledisloe Cup as a, a general feeling throughout the country? Maybe that's a topic uh, for another day, John. Is rugby in that much, uh, that much trouble in terms of its spectatorship? Yeah. However, there was better news over the weekend, though, wasn't there? Yeah. Well, Saturday afternoon, I was at Beervana, which was very well populated, uh, but there were two great games of rugby, and Manawatu seemed to trouble Canterbury. It's a weird thing that the Turbos just seem to be able to upset the Red and Blacks. I think they've won down in Christchurch recently, and they came bloody close on Saturday, 25-22. We both backed the Cantab Smithy, but the Turbos, they look pretty good this year. They do. Uh, and uh, whilst I didn't actually see this game because I was uh, over at the, the game I, I worked on at the weekend, of course, the Shield Challenge, uh, someone texted me and said, hey, have you watched the, are you watching the, the cannery? I said, no, what's going on? Flicked on to get a, a score update, and it was in the 80th minute, and so they just survived Canterbury. But, yeah, Manawatu, I mean, you know, they, they're, they're not a bad side. They gave 
uh, they have, uh, was it counties of flogging in the first round? Uh, yep. You know, it's a, it's a first match, and then again, uh, they were uh, they were there or thereabouts again. So uh, Manawatu might be spoiling a few parties this season, it seems. Yep. Defending champions at the same time, we're back home in Nelson for the first time, taking on Auckland in a replay of last year's final. Uh, Shannon Frizzell was at number eight. Uh, for Tasman, and they were just too strong. For Auckland, 16-11, uh, we both picked the home team there, Tasman, so both got a win there. Auckland, we're still yet to see RTS, Smithy. Rumour has it this week on the wing against Bay of Plenty. We'll see Roger Tuivasa-Shek. Well, that'll be a draw card. That will be a draw card for uh, Auckland rugby fans. Uh, you know, not surprised, actually. I mean, Tasman are just un- undisputedly a very good side week after week, year after year. Uh, just forget about them being underdogs in many games at all, in fact. You know, at home, I, I thought that was quite a reasonable pick, to be fair. I didn't doubt that. I wasn't greatly surprised by the result at all. Yeah, and a pretty good coaching staff these days with Andrew Goodman, who works with the Crusaders, Clark Dermody, who's been down at the Highlanders for ages, Shane Christie, very good defence coach with the Highlanders, and now they've brought in James Marshall into that mix as well. So doing good things there, Tasman. Uh, Hawks Bay, Smithy, great win for the Shield. Lock it up again. Otago just couldn't get it done. They had plenty of opportunities. Uh, but the Magpies were the ones doing all the scoring. Yeah, first 20 minutes was all Otago, really. Uh, territory, possession, they had everything in their favour, but they just could not convert enough of the, those uh, assets into points. Uh, and for that reason, Hawke's Bay were always going to sort of bounce back, and they led at half-time Hawke's Bay against the run of everything. Uh, and then in the second half, they just powered away and were too strong. Uh, they're, they're a good side, Hawke's Bay. They're a good side. They lost uh, Ash Dixon uh, earlier in the week with a virus. Hopefully he's back. Uh, for the next uh, round or two, uh, and then they lost uh, uh, they, they lost uh, a couple of other players at warm-up time and, and uh, leading into it as well. So uh, good signs, good signs for Hawks Bay, no surprise there. Yep, so we both picked Hawks Bay, both notched up a win uh, Sunday. This is where you got a bit mad, I thought, with your picks, um, starting with Southland to beat Bay of Plenty and Invercargill. That did not happen. Uh, it wasn't close. 31 to Bay of Plenty and 11 to the Stags, who looked promising in week one but just didn't back it up in week two. Uh, yeah, it was disappointing, actually. I just thought Bay of Plenty going all the way down there. A Stag's first game at home, uh, you know, after a narrow loss to Otago. Uh, I thought they'd be better for that, but uh, they weren't. It's just disappointing. They've got some uh, problems uh, to get back on track, and very, very quickly indeed. Yep. But the other game was probably the highlight for me, the highlight of uh, rugby for the weekend. <laughs> Astonishing comeback. It was mad. It was absolutely mad. So I'm backing Wellington here, and it's half time, and it's 34 points to eight to Wellington. And I'm just resting on my laurels. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can taste that ham. But no, you backed Waikato, and they came out and won 43 37. What a humongous second half. 35 points to three in the second half of the Mulus. And we got a text earlier on saying Waikato were paying $26 to win at half time of that match, Smithy. I've, I haven't seen a comeback like it in, I don't think, my lifetime. Oh, it's like, you know, they were, you know, you, you look in, you look to the flags and think there's a hell of a wind or something like it used to be in the old days, you know. You know is that a 26, 27-point wind? It was that vast, the turnaround. But no, it was just a, a Wellington compounding, uh, losing their structure defensively uh, and not retaining possession when they had scraps of it. And Waikato on the charge. Absolutely. So uh, that was good for the multi uh, and good for the competition. 
Certainly was, and Beaver Donald, he'll probably claim it. He does a bit of work with Waikato, who was on the commentary team on Sunday, and he'll be with you on SENZ Drive later on this afternoon. And then the last game of the round, some of the you back Northland, the Tanifa, but they had another guy sent off. Two weeks in a row, two read cards. You can't win a game of rugby with 14 players unless you're the Wallabies against France, uh, but it doesn't happen very often. Taranaki, 48, Northland, 14. Yeah, yeah, say no more. Yeah. Just say no more, John. So that Overall means position, then you're ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I got six out of seven at the weekend. You got four out of seven. And the overall tally, 11 out of 14 for me and nine out of 14 for you. So you will be playing catch up when we decide to cho- choose our winners on Friday, Smithy. So, you know, behind the eight ball, but Hawks Bay are underdogs this year and Tasman are the favourites. So that's probably the way it should start with us, with me in front. Gloat. Gloat if you like, John. But I'll tell you what, right here and now, uh, I'd rather talk to Staffy, and that's what we're going to do shortly. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Three minutes to 12 here uh, on SENZ, and that, of course, is uh, three minutes away from Mark Stafford and his afternoon show, th- taking you through to 4 o'clock. Uh, there was uh, a big comeback over the weekend where we're talking about Staff uh, Waikato overcoming Wellington in the second half. Comeback of the weekend, we thought, maybe comeback of all time. And someone said, no, the comeback of Israel Dag's hairline has to come <laughs> close. So there you go. <laughs> That's a fair call. Actually, that was a heck of a comeback in that rugby game. And I've got Ross Filippo on, actually, coach of Waikato. I want to know what he said at half time. Jeez, you could bottle it. Yeah, it was a beauty. Absolutely fantastic, mate. Um, that wasn't... Uh, Whilst it was the big story in Waikato, one of the stories was why wasn't the test in Waikato? Uh, that's one of the, the themes I'm, I'm getting on the basis that, uh, you know, they had 20-something thousand seats unused at Eden Park for a Bledisloe Cup game. Worrying signs or you just think a one-off worry? Um, I think the general trend is maybe a little bit of a worry. We've seen what's happened. You think about the rugby crowds like sevens, um, and someone just tweeted it out not long ago, and I can't, I'm sorry, I would credit them, but, you know, one, Jamie Wall tweeted it out, and he said, you know, once the crowds go, it's really hard to get them back, um, and it's just, it struggles. You know, we very seldom see stadiums filled up now, all blacks or not, and I think it would have filled up if they went to Wellington, and I know Wellington offered to change the dates to Sunday. Imagine a Sunday day test yesterday in Wellington, mm. that would have filled. Oh, well, have felt, and, and people would have stayed uh, in the region. I mean, Birvana attracted a lot of people, staff, but mm. people would have stayed. People would have travelled from, you know, from your Manawatu, from My Hawks Bay, yep. from Taranaki, with the opportunity of, you know, a two or three hour drive, and you've got the All Blacks uh, and the Wallabies right in front of you. So uh, they, they probably might have made a mistake. They, they misread. They misread Auckland and Aucklanders and, and the interest up there um, backing up. So what have you got this afternoon, man? Uh, straight after the news, actually, we've got Hayden Wild, who, the bronze medalist from the uh, Olympics. And, of course, they've just Ooh. done well in the World Champs uh, recently. So we've got him live out of Canada. Ross Filippo, as I say. Tony Brown, master coach in rugby, got him as well uh, at 1 o'clock. Andrea Nelson, who's heading up the Women's Cricket World Cup, which is going to be here next year. I've got a couple of top 25s, one of which is an interview, but you have to hold on to find out who that is. Um, Top 25 moments, and here's one. This is going to be good. 
Aroni Leilua sailed for Samoa at the Olympics is in MIQ back in New Zealand. So be interesting to hear how a Samoan sailor is coping with um, quarantine. And he's rooming with Dave Litty, the weightlifter. Oh, it sounds fun. That sounds like a big room service tray. Tell you that. A very big room service tray. All right. um, That's it for us uh, this Monday morning. Thanks very much, of course, to Trudy, to Brian, and to John, and to all of you for taking part in the new team in town, SENZ. Staffy next. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.